And let me say this as we dive in today. A desire without discipline is just a dream. A desire without discipline. And Abraham Lincoln, I believe, gets credit for this quote. He said, discipline is denying yourself what you want now for what you want most. Like, when you see that donut, come on, somebody. Like, you want this one to go away. <laughs> Maybe you want this one to go Whatever it is, wherever. <laughs> that's, that's why we have children's ministry. Okay, so that's, <laughs> you, want, you want it to go away from you, but, but you see it and you want it so bad right now. Like, last Monday morning when eclairs and apple fritters and shundala. I'm, I'm sorry. It get all up in your grill and you're like, no, I'm fasting, devil. Daddy Tim, why did you buy these? What is wrong with you? And you deny yourself what you want now for what you want most. See, a dream without character, it's not destiny. It's destruction. If you don't have the character that God created you to have, you can begin to walk in the dream and walk in the destiny, and it will only be a matter of time before you and everybody that you have influence with and sometimes even over is destroyed. We see this happening in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. I'm just going to explain the first couple of verses beginning in verse 13 through 17. Joseph, the favorite son, I can relate, but he was the youngest son and he had a pretty boy coat. I mean, it was a coat that was pretty and he thought that his position and his favor earned him a way out of work, you know, like Christians do that receive salvation. All right, so Joseph is at home with his daddy while the rest of his brothers are out in the field working. And his daddy looks over, he's like, hey, Joe. I would just assume that's how his daddy would talk to him. Why don't you go out? What he was saying was, hey, boy, get up off of your backside and go outside and do something with your life. Why don't you go check on your brothers as if they needed the 17-year-old snot nose to come check on them and then bring me back a good report of them. Notice he was like prophesying, please tell me something good because I'm sick of hearing you whine and them gripe about your whining. There was a division in the brethren amongst the brothers. And the father, hear me, was not okay with the division. So he sent Joseph out. Now Joseph, being 17 years old, forgot what he was sent out to do. And the Bible says a man found him wandering. You remember 17 years old? <laughs> and you know, it's just, you just forget. Some of it's like 37, 47, 57. Like it's still happening, but that's okay. <laughs> He's wandering in the wilderness. It says a man finds him, and Joseph, all of a sudden, he remembers what he's supposed to be doing. He's like, oh, have you seen my brothers? And the man says, I saw him leave from here and go to Dothan, Alabama. <laughs> Sorry, it's not in Alabama. It was in the promised land. So I saw him go to Dothan. And so Joseph leaves from there, and he goes to Dothan. And now we, we pick up 
Joseph is on the way to Dothan. And verse 18, the Bible says, they, his brothers, saw him afar off. Even before he came near, they saw him. You need to remember that. We're going to come back to it. They conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer in his coat. Really, he was a daydreamer. I mean, he was just wandering around in circles, forgot what he was even sent for. Look at this dreamer, this daydreamer. Supposed to be listening to algebra. It's like, wait, has she been talking for the last 35 minutes? Oh my gosh, what are all these people writing down? Supposed to be listening to the pastor, not playing on their phone. Come on, oh, I got him. Sleep at home. Come on, don't come on Sunday. Go to sleep. Well, I'd rather you sleep here than not come at all. Just take a rest. Let enjoy, enjoy Jesus for a little while. Verse eight, verse 19. Hey, look, let's, let's, this is a dreamer. Come, verse 20. Let us kill him now. And cast him into some pit. Listen, his brothers, remember last week, they, they didn't just hate him because he was the favorite. They, they despised him because he was arrogant. In this passage, I, I, have to, I have to wonder if that's maybe what's happening to Christianity in America. I have to wonder if maybe people aren't despising Jesus. They despise the Christians and the arrogance and the overzealous super holiness of the people who think that they're better than them just because they understand that Jesus died and gave his life for them. That should, that should bring humility, not arrogance. But for some reason, it made Joseph arrogant, and it made everybody around him want to put him out. Cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast devoured him. We shall see what will become of this dream. We'll see what happens with your God. Verse 21. But Reuben, who in this passage, some scholars would say, is a type of Christ. Because Reuben is the firstborn. Reuben is the rightful heir of the father. He's the firstborn son. He's the rightful heir of the firstborn anointing. And watch what Reuben does here. The Bible says when Reuben heard it, he delivered him, he delivered Joseph out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, as if he had heard this story about these guys named Cain and Abel. Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit. See, a minute ago it was some pit. Now it's this pit. And often we feel like we're just going through a pit or some pit. But then we see ourselves going through this again. Same thing over to your children. You did to yourself. I can't believe I. It's this pit. We're familiar with this one. It's no longer just some. It's, it's this one. Reuben said, let's cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. He did that, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Let me just set the stage and establish right now, no matter what I say for the rest of the service. You need to understand that the first and the only born of heaven laid down his rights as the first and only born son of God. He was the son of God, the rightful heir to the throne, but he laid down his rights with the father so that he could come and deliver 
deliver us out of the hands of evil and back into relationship with our heavenly father. That's why he came and that's who he is. That's why I said Reuben is a type here. But Reuben's not Jesus, so he fell a little short. Verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic because that's what he was putting his faith in. They took away what Joseph was finding substance and fulfillment in. They stripped him of that, that tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. I want to preach a message today where I prophesy into you, get out of the pit. You were not created, hear me, for the pit. You may be, listen, just because you step in it doesn't mean you have to stay in it. Come on. My son and daughter came running around the corner of the house the other day and Emery said, Gabriel, push me in poop. And, and Gabriel was laughing. Yeah, I pushed her in poop. I said, boy, you want me to roll you in that pile of poop? No, sir. <laughs> just because she stepped in it, come on, doesn't mean she's just going to roll around in it. Why do we do that? Why do we fall into something and then decide, well, this is where we're supposed to be because I fell, because I stumbled, because I stepped, because I saw, because I went. This must be what God has for me. No, get out of the pit. Jesus purchased your path out for the way out. Don't stay in that place just because you had a moment in that place. Don't turn a scene into a story and a story into a saga. Get out of the pit. If you're taking notes, number one, the pit has a position. The pit has a position. And it's good to evaluate. Listen, if you happen to be in a pit because somebody else put you there, or maybe it was the consequence of your own choices, it's good to evaluate, man, how did I get in this position? What did I do? And listen, if it's never your fault, you can't do anything about it. Now, let me just pause. I am not talking about abuse right now. If that is what you're carrying and that's the weight that's been hurting you, I am not talking. You did nothing to deserve what happened to you. The only thing you did was be born into a fallen world around fallen people. But Jesus paid for all of that stuff and he can cleanse you of the evil that even somebody else committed to you or against you. But for everybody else, if all we ever do is blame, then we can't make any adjustments. If it's everybody else's fault, then I can't fix it. And by the way, that was one of the first few sins that man ever created, Think about, that, that man ever committed. Think about it. When God said, what have you done to the woman? The woman said, it was the devil. She said, it was the serpent. And people have been blaming the devil for their own disobedience since Genesis chapter 3. Well, the devil, man. Pastor, the devil's after you. No, probably not. You just need more obedience. Probably not the devil made you do that. He's not omnipresent. I mean, he has some powers and principalities working against you. They might have tempted you, but God said it wouldn't be beyond what was common to man or beyond what you were able. Probably wasn't the devil that made you do that. You don't get to blame the devil when you stand before the Savior. Come on. That's just the way that it goes. Probably wasn't the devil. Here's what the man did. God said, what have you done? And he said, it was the woman. And we've been blaming women for what we did ever since. 
been getting us in trouble ever since then too. Somebody asked me, I said this a couple weeks ago, I'll say it again because it's funny. It said, where would you be without women? And I was like, in the garden of Eden, naked, not eating the fruit God told me not to. Where would you be? That's where I'd be. <laughs> it's enjoying the presence of Jesus without being tempted and distracted. <laughs> but he watched this. He said, it was the woman. And then he said, that you gave me. And men have been blaming women and God for their problems ever since that day. Something goes wrong. What did you do to me? I can't believe you'd let that happen in my life. If it's not my fault, I can't fix it. Wisdom requires us to learn from the pit. Wisdom requires that we ask, what could I have done differently? Did I do anything that would cause them to feel this way about me? Here's wisdom requires us to ask, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me? Um, Joseph was never going to learn anything sitting at home with his daddy. Joseph was never, somebody told me to do this because they remembered it and it painted a picture. Jo Joseph was never going to learn anything prancing through the wilderness in his pretty little coat. Okay, Here comes Joseph in his coat. No, he's not going to learn anything in his pretty boy coat, okay? You got to get him out from underneath his mama <laughs> and out of his daddy's house. And he's got to learn that what he has was not because of who he is. And when that was stripped away, now Joseph can learn something. I read in the book that we're going through, Dream to Destiny, written by Pastor Robert Morris, I read the story of this man um, was that me? Or this? I read the story of this man. He would, every day on his way home from work, he would cut through the cemetery to save him like a, a large distance. You know, like people do right here, just right through there. It seems like there would be another path, like maybe the other side of the ditch, but they choose the cemetery. So this man chose the cemetery. He's walking through the cemetery. It was getting late. The sun had gone down. The moon wasn't out. It was cloudy and it was really dark. And he was walking through a very familiar place and he fell in a grave that was freshly dug. And he, he clawed and, and, and climbed and, and, he, and he tried to get out and, then, and he even started yelling for help and he was hollering, but he realized how late it was getting. So he said, you know what, I'll just sit down, which is what we do when we fall into this thing. We, we use all the energy that we have and then when we can't get ourselves out, we just sit down. Like, you know what, I'll just wait. I'll just, I'll just stay right here. And he was going to start hollering again in the morning and hope somebody gets him out. Well, then not too long after that, this old drunk came through the cemetery, which is, I don't know why drunk people go to cemeteries, but in this story, this is where they was. So he was stumbling through the cemetery, you know, and, and it was already dark and everything's blurry and there's two of everything. And so he was like, he walked into the same grave, fell in, and he started climbing and clawing and, and then he couldn't get out under his own effort and energy. And he was, he'd try to jump and grab and then he'd fall back down again and, and ultimately he was like, oh man, he sat there and he went to catch his breath. And all of a sudden that other guy got up and put his hand on his shoulder and said, give up. You can't get out. That old drunk climbed up the side of that grave, ran across that graveyard and promised God he'd never drink another lick of wicker. That's what he said. I said the same thing in first service. I just wanted to keep the, you know, we try to repeat and he would never again would he taste that devil's brew. You know, he said, just promise God. And there's two things we can learn from that story. Number one, you can't give up. You can't give up. You weren't created to give up. And then number two, you can't drink your way out of things. You just can't. If that's what you decide to do, then that's where you'll stay. 
But you weren't created for that pit. So listen to me. Stop laying around feeling sorry for yourself. You're 40 years old. It's not your mama's fault. Come on. At some point, it's not your ex-relationship's fault. Like, you got to let them people up for air. Come on. <laughs> like, let them live their lives. It's not everybody else's fault. At some point, you have to come to a place where you say, search me. Try my heart. Know my thoughts. See, we live in a society of victimhood. Like, I'm the victim. It was my parents. It was my upbringing. It's the world around me. Everybody's evil. The police are evil. The colored people are evil. I know it's a struggle right now, and there's a lot of things going on. The riots are evil. The, the sinners are evil. The Democrats are evil. The Republicans are evil. Come on, we live in a victim-based mentality. I can't get out of this. There's no way. It's not my fault, and I can't fix it. But can I tell you that Jesus came so that even victims could become victorious? When you understand who you are in Christ and you understand that he purchased the victory, especially for people who felt like they were a victim, that you may not be able to get out on your own, but in him you can be delivered and he can get the glory. If you understand it, acknowledge the position of the pit. Number two, the pit requires perspective. Perspective is more powerful than position. I thought that would get a better amen than that. Perspective is even, think about it. Isaiah had a vision. John the Revelator had the same vision. They were in the same position in the same throne room, and yet Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm unclean. And John was in the glory. Same position, different perspective. And God wants us to get his perspective, even of our pits. And sometimes, in order to gain God's perspective, we need to expose the enemy's perspective. Who shows up every time you're in a pit? Who shows up every time you're already down? Well, it's not Lucifer himself necessarily, because again, Lucifer is not omnipresent. But there are powers and principalities at work. Like there is this spiritual realm that doesn't want us to win. That doesn't want us to be victorious and definitely doesn't want us to give God the glory for our victories. And who shows up? The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the one that accuses you and tries to keep. Who shows up every time you have a great moment in God's presence? Like you leave church and you are so excited and then you walk out of here, you read one text message and what God just did for an hour and 15, 30 minutes, God, the enemy robs from you in one text because that's who he is. He's a liar and he's an accuser. He condemns you. And I don't have this written down, but I, I want you to define the difference between condemnation and conviction. You need to understand that condemnation and conviction are not the same thing. They're not the same. God does not condemn you. He convicts you. The enemy condemns you. So what is condemnation? Condemnation says, look what you did. This is who you are. You will never be the same again. You stepped in it. You're stuck in it. And here is where you will stay. 
That's condemnation. It shows you everything you've ever done that you can't do anything about. And then conviction. Conviction says, hey, look, what you did. You need to acknowledge what you've done. But please see what Jesus has done. This is who you were, but this is who I have for you to be. See, conviction will show you the pit and offer you a hand that gets you out. Condemnation wants to keep you in. Conviction will show you, yeah, you rebelled. Come on, but I redeem. And that's who your Savior is. He's not a person that condemns. So if some Christian comes in the name of Jesus and condemns you, do to them what Jesus did to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, because your words do not represent my father. Condemnation and conviction are not the same thing. In fact, um, the verse that nobody knows, John three seventeen, <laughs> The Bible says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Condemnation, listen to me, is always from the enemy. But conviction... Jesus came to convict and to save, not to condemn. The enemy is a liar. In fact, the Bible refers to him as the father of all lies. In this story, we see his false evidence produce a lie in Jacob's life. Verse 31 of Genesis 37 says, They took Joseph's tunic and they killed a kid of the goats, a baby goat, and they dipped the tunic in the blood. Listen to me. What you found fulfillment and favor and substance in, it has to go through the blood of Jesus in order to sustain an eternity. If you put your faith in something that is not your father, then that thing has to be dipped in the blood. And they dipped his tunic in the blood. See, the enemy didn't know what he was doing when he shed the blood of Jesus. His brothers didn't know what they were doing when they put the blood of that goat on that boy's jacket. Dip that tunic in the blood. Then, verse 32, they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And verse 33 says he recognized it. He looked at the evidence and he said, It's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. I want you to notice that Jacob said that, not Joseph's brothers. See, often the enemy doesn't even need to tell you anything. He just needs to show you evidence. He just needs to show you what's around you to get you distracted from who he is. He needs to do to you what he did to Peter. When Peter was walking across the water with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, a lot of theologians say, well, at least he got out of the boat. But the problem is Jesus didn't tell him to. Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. And now Peter begins to question Jesus. And he said, God says, yeah, if you want to question me, get out of the boat. Let's do this thing. So Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking. And then the enemy says, hey, look at the storm. And Peter goes, (laughs) and what he was destined by, he's now being drowned by. Because he forgot to fix his eyes on Jesus. Peter started looking around instead of looking ahead. And he got distracted. Jacob 
for 22 years believed this lie that he made up. He believed the lie that he confessed over himself. God didn't say it. The brothers didn't even say it. Jacob just looked around, looked at the temporary evidence that the brothers produced, that the enemy produced, and he made a decision based off of what he saw instead of what he should have believed. Because God just told him through that dream that this wasn't going to happen. Satan will tell you you're not going to be healed. Listen to this report. Satan will tell you those are your finances. Don't listen to that money-hungry preacher. Satan will tell you it's okay to rob from God and your time, talent, and treasure. Satan will tell you, look what you did. You're so great. You have such a great work ethic. Look what you accomplished. Look what you produced. Satan will tell you you can marry whoever you want to whenever you want to, or you can leave however and whenever you want to. Satan will tell you it's your body. Do with it what you want. Life doesn't start until birth. Satan will tell you, as an attack on the family, y'all don't have anything in common. You're too opposite. You'll never get along. You'll never make it. He'll cause you to forget what you loved about somebody just so he can lead you away from God's will for your life. He'll say, look, she really cares about you. Look, you can share your secrets with her. He'll say, look, he really is, he's willing to confide in you and and your husband hasn't looked at you like that in a long time. You probably just need to get out while the getting's good. Hey, listen, those are lies from the pit of hell because the devil wants to convince you that you belong where he has to stay. He wants you to get stuck where God has already designated he would spend eternity. And I came to tell somebody, get out of the pit. Flee. Run back to Jesus. Let him deliver you from the pit and back to the Father. See, we need to replace Lucifer's lies with God's truth. And he's already given it to us. All we have to do is discover and declare so that we can walk in the destiny that he has given. We have to have the character. We have to believe God. And number three, we have to understand that the pit has a purpose. Even the pit. Remember, it wasn't until Joseph lost what he had put faith in that he could actually begin to learn. He didn't lose faith. He began to look to God. Chris, why would you say that? It it doesn't say that specifically in Scripture because by the time we see Joseph again, we begin to see him make mature decisions. We begin to see him grow. And he doesn't walk in the arrogance that he used to walk in. He doesn't walk in the pride that he used to walk in. So something happened, hear me, something happened to Joseph in that pit that caused him to not be the way that he was before. And I can promise you it wasn't what the enemy was whispering in his ear. The purpose of every pit is for us to be delivered and restored back to the Father. That is the purpose of the pit. And listen to me, I am not saying by making this statement that everything happens for a reason. That's a lie, by the way. It's unbiblical. If you hear somebody say that, say, nah, my preacher said it's, that's not biblical, that's a lie. 
That's the devil telling you that. Just tell them right out in front of everybody. They'll never say it again. <laughs> Don't do that. If you do, wear somebody else's shirt sticker or church sticker with his. <laughs> That's a lie. Everything doesn't happen. for. There are things in this word that took place, and the Bible says, and God was not in it. There are things that take place that, are, that he's not in favor of. And he doesn't look, listen to me, if he could look away from his son for a moment, do you not think that he's able to look away from other things? Everything doesn't happen for a reason. But I can promise you, I know a God that can bring reason to anything and everything that happens. Why? Because his truth says that he works all things to the good of those. Hey, things don't work. My junk breaks. I don't know about you, but like my stuff breaks. Like it gets old. I'm getting old. My mama told me I had gray hairs. I went, mind your business. Why are you so hateful to me? Come on, sometimes, like, the older you get, the more your back goes out, goes out more than you do. <laughs> your knees buckle more than your pants. You get it. You know what I'm saying? just happens. There's this law in physics called entropy. It's the physical law that over time all things decay. That's not biblical. It's physical. It's not biblical. See, because over time, no matter what happens to this old vessel... No matter what takes place on the outside, come on, on the inside, I am becoming more like Jesus every day. And this may get old, but I'm being made new every morning in his presence. This may decay, but come on, this is going to walk in destiny and accomplish. This may be getting weaker, and it is, unfortunately. Come on, but my spirit is stronger than it's ever been before. And I'm going to grow with Jesus, not just giving my life. God's going to bring purpose even in the valley. Can I show you another pit? Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And God answered. Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol. I thought you were in a fish. Every Cajun knows you cut your way out of a fish. I heard somebody say in first service, if you had a knife. I thought, there's like 19 bones all around Jonah. Like he'd have made a knife if he wanted to. I guarantee you, there'd have been some Cajuneering right there. A bone would have turned into a knife. Somebody would have got out. But Jonah, looking around at his temporary, turned his temporary situation into an eternal situation. The fish's belly is now the pit of Sheol, the pit of hell. Jonah said, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Verse 4, but then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, which is not true. Yet I will look again to your holy temple. I'm prophesying to somebody that feels like they've been in a pit way longer than they were created to be. Look again. I'm telling you that when you don't think God is about to show up and the wall's about to be torn down, look again. 
I tell you like Elijah told the servant, go to the edge and look out into the skies and tell me if you see a cloud. The servant came back and said, I don't see anything, Elijah. Elijah said, look again. And he went back out and he came back and he said, I don't see anything, Elijah said, look again. On the seventh time, the servant came back and he said, I see a cloud the size of a hand. And Elijah said, get ready for the rain, baby. God is about to show up. Look again. Look again. Jonah looked again, not at his circumstances, come on, but at his Savior. And then the Bible says, I went down to the moorings of the mountain, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought me up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. See, now it's personal. In this passage, Sheol means pit. The enemy wants you in the pit with him. Do you remember how Joseph's brothers recognized him? Remember they saw him coming? How did they recognize him? That blasted coat. Shining in the sun. Look at me, prancing through the wilderness. Here comes Joseph. Oh, here comes the dreamer. Joseph had his favor, his father's favor on him. And I'm telling you, listen... You have, as a son and a daughter of God, you have the Father's favor on you, whether you realize it or not. You are chosen. Come on, a chosen people. Holy, royal priesthood. That is who God says you are. Joseph's father gave him a gift, just as your father has given you a gift. But here's the problem. Joseph was more proud of his gift than the giver. Let me say it this way. Joseph was more fond of the favor than the father. So let me ask you, is your faith in the gift or the giver? Like, slay me, O God, and yet will I praise you. Where is my faith? Joseph Arrogance led him to believe that his favor deserved his faith. Look at all the high-profile pastors lead so many people astray. You know why? It's not because God's hand wasn't upon their lives. It's because they were proud. And they forgot that it wasn't, look what the Lord has done any longer, but they're now going, look what I've done. And they began to believe the songs of other people. And down they go, one after another, in arrogance and pride. Why, why do we feel like we have to tell other people how gifted we are? Like, I, I've met some new people come to our church like, Pastor, I need you to know I'm a prophet. I'm like, I knew that. I'm a prophet too. <laughs> I did that way better in this service than the last one. The first one, they were like, what? Uh, <laughs> Why do we think we have to tell the preachers what our gifts are? Why do we have to tell other people how great we are? How great our children are? How great our grandchildren? What all we have? Why don't we just take pride in the giver and understand that it doesn't matter what I have when I understand who I am? See, we need to be in love with the giver, not the gift. When you fall in love with the giver, you understand that the only purpose of the pit 
is for you to be delivered and restored back to the Father. I'm not going to read you the passage because we need to land this plane. But if you look in this passage, in this story, the Bible says that some Midianite traders, some Ishmaelites come along and they had been in Gilead and they were carrying some balm. Now, any Jew, any Hebrew, any scholar of Old Testament theology understands that the balm of Gilead was the healing balm. It was attributed to the hand of God, Jehovah Rapha, the healer. And this slave trading company who was actually Joseph's distant cousin. Isn't it sometimes the people that are the closest to you that end up cutting you the deepest? And these people that were supposed to be close to Joseph ended up attempting to turn him into a slave. But God, come on, they had been to Gilead and they had picked up a balm and they didn't understand that what they were carrying was not actually the ability to infiltrate, but they were carrying the anointing that Joseph would need to go from the pit to the palace to the position that God had for him the whole time. I'm telling somebody that God will use your enemies in his plan to see you healed, delivered, and restored back to him. Even your slave traders can position you for God's purpose. Final, Joseph, a type of Jesus. Joseph had a coat of many colors. He was stripped of his coat. The Bible says Jesus was stripped of his robe. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 shillings and then common practice as the price of a slave in Egypt was 30. Jesus, Jesus was sold for 30 shillings himself. The Bible says that it was Judah that sold Joseph. The Bible says that it was Judas that sold Jesus. Same name in the Hebrew. We understand that Joseph was thrown into a pit. I need you to remember today that for three days, Jesus went into the core of the earth. He descended into the pit so that I could put my faith in my Father, not in my favor. So that I could put my faith in the giver, not the gift. Jesus went into the pit so that we could get out of the pit. I need you to know that that blood-stained jacket might have stayed where Jacob was, but I just have an inclination in my heart that Jacob probably brought that blood-stained coat 22 years later and presented it again to his son who he thought was dead. See, the enemy didn't know what he did when he shed the blood of Jesus. I don't know if it's two years or 22 years, but I can tell you today that if you're dipped in the blood of Jesus, the jacket and the coat that you thought you wanted will be stripped away from you and it will be replaced with a robe of righteousness in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joseph didn't care about that coat of many colors. When God positioned him as second in command, he had a closet full what the enemy meant for evil. Come on, somebody. God is going to restore unto the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus went to the pit so you could get out. Can somebody just praise him for a second? If you believe God can deliver and restore anybody.
Come on, would you bow your head? Father, we know that it is you who brings reason. God, it is you who delivers us out of our pain, problems, our fear. God, for every person in here, I rebuke that ounce of anxiety that comes with these trying times. God, I rebuke in the name of Jesus that spirit of depression that tries to cloud itself over your sons and your daughters. I rebuke the lies of the enemy that somebody else could fill the void that only you can fill. God, I rebuke the lie of the enemy that would tempt them to break covenant with you or anybody else when you've already claimed them as your own. For every follower of Jesus in the room right now, I want to invite you. If you're in a pit, if the weight of this world seems bigger than you can carry, congratulations, you are in a position to hear from God. See the hand of God come down and take that old coat off of you. See the hand of God come down and take that weight off of you. And now see the hand of the healer reach down, pick you up, and pull you out of that pit. And begin to position you and place you in his purpose. Call out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Let him know you need him. Let him know you believe in him. Confess your love, which is commitment to him. As the church begins to pray that the Holy Spirit would move freely in this place today, I want to talk to anybody that's not following Jesus. You don't know that you know him. You're not confident of who you are in him. Today is your day. God gave the first son. Jesus gave up his position. He went into the pit so that you could be forgiven. So that you could be restored and redeemed. No matter how much you have rebelled. He's talking to you. He's calling you right now. You see his face. You see his hand. Would you answer the call and receive salvation today? Would you answer the call and surrender your life to him today? If the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart for the first time ever or the first time in a long time, if you believe that he's talking to you, would you just open your hand right where you are? Whether you're watching right here live in-house, you're watching online, live or later, God is not bound to a place or a time. He's here for you right now. Would you receive him? Would you open your hands in a position to receive because God gave his only son and Jesus gave his life? But it's up to you to ask for forgiveness and to receive that salvation right now with every head bowed and every eye closed.
Church, I want to invite you to support anybody that needs to confess this prayer out loud today. Come on, let's pray it together. Say it with me. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short for every evil thing I've ever done. Save me. Cleanse me. Deliver me from the pit and position me beside you. I believe you gave your life so that I could live. You were resurrected so I could be redeemed, restored, back to the Father. Take my life, make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God praise this morning. Isn't he a good, good father?